We are in Acts chapter 9 this morning. Sorry. Acts chapter 9. We'll begin with a question. You have a thought, you have an opinion, go ahead and just yell it out. In this room, there's some of us that are older than others. Some of us are, are boomers, some are Gen X, Gen X, some are millennials, some are Gen Z. Is there any Gen Z in the house? Right there, oh, no, oh, Gen Z in the house. Okay, so different answers might come out because of your age. Here's a question. What are some life experiences that we go through as people? that mark and define a life? What are some experiences you go through that can literally mark and change a person's life? What do you think? Marriage. That's a good, Colin holds his ring finger up. Marriage is a life-defining moment. That, that changes things. It does, dude. It does. What else? 16. 16? I guess. I, mean, I had a cool birthday when I was 16. No, 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 just not, not age, events, events. I can't hear what you're saying. What? First job. That's a big deal. And you know what? Even a new job can be like, like, let's say you're working a job you don't like, and you get the job you've been dreaming of for a long time. That's a big day. That could be a big moment in your life. where this, Or you know what? Maybe you have a job, and that job ends. That can, defi- can change your life, can it? Like I, like, I see some heads nodding because um, of the COVID virus. We had a factory in the city closed down. And that changed some lives of our people in the church because they went from being, what's it called, when you're sent away and you're coming back in a little while? You're unemployed, you're unemployed, you're on unemployment to being unemployed. It's a big change. So marriage work. What else is a big event we go through like they change having a baby? Okay, babies are a big deal. You know, in the church we had two babies this week. Two healthy baby boys born this week. That's pretty awesome. I I love it. I love it. I've not met either of them yet because they're really, really little. Um, But I look forward to meeting those two new, new young ones. So babies are a big one. There it is. The loss of a loved one. There are people we can lose in this life that as we think through our personal stories, that person passing away, there's a before they died and an after they died. Now these, a lot of these events we mentioned, getting married, someone we love passing away, maybe losing their job or getting a job, having a child, a lot of these events are very um, dramatic and traumatic. There's a high point of action. You know what? Another one is moving is a big one for a lot of us. Moving to a new city, maybe leaving your childhood home. When I went to college, when I, when I, when I went to college in Chicago and I left my mama's house, I cried driving away, yo. Like, it's just like you feel like I'm not a little kid no more. I'm, I'm, I got to be a man now, you know? So let's say a funeral. 
You lay someone you love to rest. And it's a very full day. Family gathers, right? There's maybe a visitation, and then there's the service. After the service, we may go to the graveside, and we lower them into the ground, and we throw dirt upon the casket. Now, that's all very intense. What's crazy was what happens next. I was with a, a man who buried his wife of like 40-plus years, and he loved her, something fierce. Like, his grief was so great, I was moved to tears during the service as well. And during that service, he had all his children with him. His siblings flew in from out of state. And everyone was there as a comfort for this day where we said goodbye to this beloved woman. But the next day, something different happens, doesn't it? Because everybody goes home. There is no big event anymore. That big, dramatic, traumatic moment is now just life. And every one of these big moments, having a child, moving, losing or gaining a job, on the moment it happens, there's a lot of high emotions. But then, the next day, there's the aftermath of the drama. When the kid's born, you go through the whole, like, the pushing, and you're holding your wife's, look for a guy, you're holding your wife's hand, like, you can do it, babe. And there's all the, the fear and the tension and the laboring. And then it, the baby's in the world. And all the doctors say, you can go home. I remember the doctors told me I could go home. And they said, you can go home now. And we had this little kid. And I'm like, what do I do? They're like, you can go home and raise it. And I'm like, I don't know how. And I put it in the car seat and drive home. And my wife and I just sat there staring at this little girl. We're like, what do we do? Like, it was just, we didn't know what to do. And there was no one there. There's no nurse to help anymore. It's just us and a kid in the living room. The aftermath of those big moments, they're just, they're so ordinary and so everyday. We've been talking about, as a church, the last month, this guy named Saul who becomes Paul. This man who, he, he, he meets Jesus. He, he gets saved. He's converted to Christ. He, he becomes a changed person. And his conversion is dramatic. He sees a light from heaven on the road. He is shook to his core. And he, when that's all over, he believes in Jesus. Why? Because he saw the man. I saw Christ and he blinded me with his glory. I believe he's real. Well, then the light fades, and you go, you go to an apartment blind. What happens next? I want to go talk about the aftermath of meeting Jesus. The aftermath of meeting Jesus. What happens after someone puts their faith in Jesus? We go to verse 20. Acts 9.20. And immediately Saul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, Jesus is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? 
Saul is known to the Jews of Damascus. They're waiting for him to come. The Jews are the Jewish people. They see this new thing called Christianity growing, and they're not, they're not happy about it. So the, the high priest is sending Saul the enforcer to come and arrest these new Christians and to squash this new movement. He has literally, he has letters signed giving him the authority to arrest people and bring them bound back to Jerusalem. And he comes to the synagogue and everyone's like, Saul, my boy, what's up? Everyone's pumped to see him. And he comes in and the first thing out of his mouth is, hey guys, I was wrong about everything. Jesus is the Christ. He, we should all follow him. He's the greater prophet than Moses. He's the blessed seed of Abraham. He is the forever king after David. Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. We should all worship him. They're like, what is happening? See, they knew Saul. and Saul used to be on their team. And now Saul is not on their team anymore. And it leaves the people amazed. Listen. When you meet Jesus, your friends may be amazed. Jesus does change people's lives. Now, I've been a preacher guy for 25 years. I have met people on my journey that I have thought to myself, this person is so far gone Jesus can't rescue them. I thought that. This person is so swallowed in their addiction. This person is so bitter in their heart. There's no way Jesus can reach and rescue this person. I have thought that about people. Oh, me of little faith. And I have seen, I have seen Jesus grab those very people and call them to himself. I have seen bitter, angry, cruel, hurt people touched by Christ, and I've seen them change. You know what I said that happened? I was amazed that God can change a human soul. I always say, people don't change, but God changes people. It's a saying that really, I really come to embrace because I do believe for the most part people don't change. We are who we are. We fall into our habits. We do our thing. We are who we are. I met a lady once who was marrying a guy, and she goes, man, when we get married, I can't wait for them to grow up. And I was like, lady, this person you're marrying, they are who they are. You better love them now because if you want some better version of them, you're in for a rude awakening. People are who they are. We don't change, but crazy, what's crazy is God can change people. The God of heaven can work miracles and change people's hearts. Bitter people can forgive and become not bitter. It's a miracle, but it can happen. I have been amazed that I've seen people called by Christ saved by Christ, and I've seen their hardened 
their hard hearts soften. It is a miracle every time. It's an, amazing, it's an amazing thing to see. And if you meet Christ and your life changes, your friends, your family, they may be amazed at what happens to you as you come to Christ. Saul's friends were amazed. Is not this the very one who burned down the church in Jerusalem and now he loves Christ? What happened to this guy? Amazed. But amazement is not the only reaction people have to someone meeting Jesus. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So Saul goes to synagogue. He goes to the Jewish church, and he's arguing that Jesus is the guy. Jesus is the one we have been waiting for. And he's such a good debater, no one can fight him. He's winning all the battles. So in verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. So the, pe the people who used to love Saul, Saul changed jerseys. He's not, a Lions, he's not a Lions fan no more. He's an Ohio State fan. He's on the other team. He's betrayed the brotherhood. They don't like it. They plan to kill the guy. And Saul hears, they're going to kill me. And now, in ancient Near Eastern cities, um, back in the day, if you wanted protection for your city, you had a wall built around it. Because back in the day, the weapons were swords and arrows. And guess what? Concrete walls, brick walls, can stop swords and arrows. So you build a big wall, protect all your people, and the walls would have these openings in it for your archers, for pouring out gross stuff on invaders, dumping waste. And these walls could be so big, there would be apartments in the wall. There'd be rooms and houses in the walls of these great cities. And so Saul knew someone who lived in one of these walls and said, listen, if I go through the gate, they're going to see me leaving by the gate. They're going to get me. They're going to find me. They're going to kill me. So they let him out through a basket in a wall. Like they, they put a rope basket. They lower Saul down, and Saul takes off. Some of Saul's friends were amazed, but if you meet Jesus, some of your friends may be angry. That happens too. I have seen, I think this story happened more than once. We have two people who are dating. And their relationship is built maybe on partying or drugs. That's a, that's a, that's a foundational stone of their relationship. Well, then one of the couples meets Jesus. And they put the bottle down. They put the needle down. They stop partying. And their spouse is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is what we got. This is what we do. We party and laugh. And now you're not partying no more. That ain't fair. That ain't cool. And they become angry that their partner changed. That you're not the way we used to be. Something changed. It affects us now. That happens. When you meet Jesus, you might put down sins that make you not fit 
into your world anymore. That happens. When I moved to Waterford, Michigan, I met Jesus. And for my 16th birthday, I invited some of my Flint friends to come to my Waterford birthday. My, some of my, I invited one of my best friends from Flint to come up. And he came up, and it was so good to see him. But he didn't know that I was a different person now. I belonged to Jesus. It changed the way I talked. It changed the way I lived. It changed what I wanted to do with my life. And he came up and met this new Ernesto and did not like it. Because I was different. I didn't foresee that my friend would find these changes boring, lame, a joke. But we never talked again. That happens. And here's a free one for you. Jesus does not tell us when we become a follower of Christ, he doesn't tell us to throw away all our old people. He doesn't tell us to do that. We're never told to throw away the people of our old life. It's kind of the opposite. We're called to be light to the world we live in, to our friends, our family. When you come to Christ, Christ calls you to bring his truth into whatever world you live in. And Christ even says, if, you're, if you get saved and your spouse is annoyed that you're a Christian and they don't believe in Jesus, they don't like Jesus, Jesus says, you stay married to him. Because maybe you will be the, be the one who brings your spouse to Christ. But Jesus does say, if your spouse wants to leave, you let him go. If people don't like you because you're a Christian... We don't boot them out, but we can let them go if they want to leave. Do you understand? I'm not saying boot people. Love people. If we have no Christian... Okay, I know Christian people who only have Christian friends. If all we're doing is playing patty cake with other Christians, how are we going to reach a dying world for Christ? We're not. We have to be out there in it, meeting people, loving people. If we're not in it, we can't meet people to help them learn who Jesus is. So, some people may react in anger. Some people may see what Christ has done in our story and not be happy about it. That does happen. And there's one thing that happens next, verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. So Saul gets out of Damascus. He's free of the city. Decides to go back to his hometown of Jerusalem. And he wants to meet the apostles. He wants to meet the 12. He wants to meet Peter and James and John. He wants to meet everybody. He goes there to meet them. Because of course, these are Jesus' number one guys. I want to be part of the family. Listen, it says, And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Listen, your friends may be amazed, your friends may be angry, but after you meet Jesus, the church might be afraid of you, 
That does happen. Here's the deal. I had a guy last week come to church for the first time. It was his first time ever on a Sunday, and he asked, hey, pastor, can I come up on stage and share a word? I didn't know the guy. No one here knew the guy. He wanted permission to get up and speak to all the people. Guess what I said? No. Heck no. I'm not giving the mic to some random dude, get up and try to sell you a car or something. I don't know. That person is unknown to us. There's no trust. There's no knowledge. Listen, if you go to a new church, it might take that new community a while to get to know you and learn you and trust you. That's a normal part of life. And as a pastor in Flint, guess what? I get hustled all the time. People come, as a Christian, we're called to be loving, generous people. When I lived in Chicago, when I went to college, I went to the Moody Bible Institute, and all the, the beggars around the city knew, they knew how to spot Moody students. We always wore, like, dress shirts and slacks. We had, we had Moody haircuts. We're very easy to find in Chicago. And the people knew that Moody students were generous. If you give them a good story, they're giving you a five spot. That's still true about Christians. Often after church, we have people in the, in the parking lot asking for money. I've had to teach our people, you never give cash out during service. In case you don't know that, that's one of our rules here. We don't give money to each other. There's been too much abuse of that in the past. On the east side, it's even worse. I, I've had people... I've had people con sweet old ladies and take them for a ride, dude. Sell them a story of all the, dude, all the tears, all the sad. And some of the stories are true. They are. But if we don't know someone, we can't know if they're true or not. That requires vetting people, getting to know people, understanding people. My point is this. Of course they didn't trust Saul. They don't know the guy. Last time Saul was in sneaking Jerusalem, he was killing their friends. And he comes in. Everybody, guess what? I know I killed your mom, but now I love Jesus too. You should be suspicious. I mean, if I... If, I'm going to give a ridiculous... I'm sorry, it's all I got. If I was a drug dealer, and the sheriff of Disney County comes in like, I want drugs too, I'd be like, hmm, this guy might be a spy. Like, maybe he's going to arrest all of us because he's not really on our team. Saul feels like he's not on their team. There's a lack of trust that's normal. If you go to a new church and you come to a new community, it might take time for people to learn you and trust you and love you. That's normal. When I first became a Christian, I went to a new church in Waterford, Michigan. And I went to this church where everyone had grown up together their whole lives. All the youth group, all these kids were related or lifelong friends, and guess what? I was on the outside of that thing. I went to church, and they're all this, like, click, and I'm on the outside of the click. It wasn't fun. Being unknown, being unloved, being unpopular, but over time, as I was, they people had to know me and trust me, I became, they brought me in, and there was love and friendship over time. It takes time. When you meet Jesus, and listen, if you, 
I work with addicts a lot. Let's say I'm with, I'm, there's an addict, been an alcoholic for 20 years. They meet Jesus, put the bottle down. They tell everybody, I'm a Christian now. I stopped drinking. Guess what their friend is going to say? Yeah, right. I've heard it before. And Addis was like, Pastor, why does no one believe me? I'm like, listen, you've been, you've been a fall down for 20 years. Let people learn that it's real. Give them time to see this is a real thing and not just a jailhouse religion kind of deal. You know what I'm saying? It takes time to see that, oh, this change is real. This is the re- it's not fake. This is the real deal. They fear Saul. That's what happens. Verse 27, but Barnabas takes Saul and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. This guy named Barnabas vouched for Saul. Barnabas got to know Saul, became Saul's friend, learned him, and Barnabas said, listen guys, this one's the real deal. He's not fake, he's not, a, he's, not a, he's not a narc, he's not a spy, he's one of us. He loves the Christ. And Barnabas becomes a person of peace for Saul. But see, I should show you how this works. When I was 14 years old, I wanted to get a job. I wanted to work somewhere, and no one would hire me. Nobody. I mean, for the lamest job, no one would hire me. I went to Myers. And I spent, I would go there for like two hours a day. I would corral carts for free to show them I was a good worker. I thought, if I show them a good worker, they'll hire me. They never hired me. They just got free cart duty for nothing. No one would hire me until one of my buddies was a dish dog at all those carryout. And he told the boss, Ernest is a good dude, give him a chance. And guess what? Had a job the next day. Why? Because someone vouched for me. Someone said, you trust me? Well, trust this guy I trust. Trust this person I trust. The love you have for me, let it pass on this friend of mine. Give them a chance. It's a big deal to vouch for somebody. A big deal. When I first came to, to church, I didn't know much about... I, I didn't, listen, you know what I didn't know when I first came to church? When I first got saved, you know what I didn't know how to do? I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to read the Bible. I didn't know how to talk or act. Didn't know any of that stuff. But an old man in the church took me under his wing to show me how to follow Christ. And that old man was a Barnabas to me. He walked with me. He prayed with me. Didn't give up on me. It was awesome. This old man is still in my life to this day. When I got married, on my wedding day, I got married. And this, old, this old man helped me, he helped pay for me to go to college. This old man was cheering me on for, for, for seven years of my life, cheering me on. The day I got married, he was at my wedding. I, I, I do the, 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 the ring, the vow, kiss the girl, we walked down the aisle, it's a great day. During the meal, he comes up to me, gives me a hug. He goes, that's what I tell you something. What's up? I thought he was something sweet. He said something sweet to me. He gives me a hug. He goes, I'll tell you one thing. He goes, I've spent the last... 14 years investing in your life. I've invested financially. I've invested my life. I've invested my blood to see you follow Christ. And I believe you can do great things for God. I'm like, thank you. He goes, I have one last thing to tell you. What's up? He goes, a lot of pastors I've seen in my life have fallen because of sexual sin. 
I'll tell you one thing. I'm like, what? He goes, if you ever cheat on your wife, I'm going to come and find you, and I'm going to kill you. That's what he told me. Like, hugging me close, Godfather style. I'll kill you. <laughs> Just, I knew it was you. You broke my heart. Uh, dude, he told me he threatened to kill me. He's done it twice since then. On my 10-year anniversary, he came over. But you know, Ernesto, if you, do, if you, you, hurt, you, you cheat on this girl. And he's like 80 now. He's like, I'll kill you. Like, it's, it's, but listen, he's a Barnabas in my life. He watches over me. He's helped me learn how to walk. We all need it. When you're a new believer, you need someone to walk with you and show you the ropes of following Jesus. It's hard following Jesus. We're not meant to do this alone. We're not. We need one another. The older men showing the younger men how to walk. The older ladies showing the younger ladies how to walk. We need these things. Need it. Saul was untrusted. Here's another one for you. I've seen the church a lot. Some young person will be very gifted. And so we'll be given leadership very quickly. But the Bible tells us we're not supposed to give young, new converts leadership. Why? Because they'll be puffed up with pride and fall into the snares of the devil. That's 1 Timothy 3. If we see in someone gifting, we let them mature first so their character can catch up to their talent. We don't give newbies, we don't give newborns shotguns. We let them grow up first. So here's what happens at the very end. Saul is welcoming the apostles. He knows everybody. Verse 28. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed among the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Paul, Saul gets sent to Tarsus for like five years to learn the word and to learn how to be an apostle. He goes through training. Let's see what happens next. Verse 31. For the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The church grows. Now, some of us here have been Christians for a long time. You've fallen Christ for years. Listen. When you first meet Jesus, there's a lot of... The first step's a big one, right? The first step towards Christ is a big step. I wasn't a Christian, now I am a Christian, okay? Uh, what, was, what did Neil Armstrong say? One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. The first step towards Christ is a giant leap forward. I didn't believe in God, I now believe in God. I felt far away from God, now I feel loved by God. Big step. As we walk with Jesus, he continues to change us. He continues to form us and grow us. We don't just stay where we are forever. 
God, if you belong to Jesus, he's going to slowly be leaning on you and calling you and guiding you. You will be changing through life. There are things you may put down in life that amaze people, that anger people, that make others afraid. That might happen, and that's okay. If you belong to Christ, there should be a change. Listen, and change can be small. It's gradual over life, but God changes his people. If you belong to him, he's going to mess with your stuff. He's going he's gonna to call you to himself. He's going to be slow. Like, listen, I am 40 years old, almost 41, almost. If you were to ask my children, they're 10 and 9. Oh, man. Nessa turned 9 last week. Thank you for that little card. That was really nice. Um, Me and my kids, me and my wife and my kids, we talk about stuff together. And um, I've asked them questions, tough questions. If you were to ask my kids, does daddy bark more now or when you were younger? They'd tell you he barked more when we were younger. Because when I was younger, I, my anger, um, I had less control of it. Do you understand? So sometimes I bark. That's what's the word we use in our house. Bark means you lose it. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. You just, rah, 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 rah. You, just, you, just you just let it off the chain. It happens less now because Jesus is still working on me. And if you belong to him, he should be still working on you. This whole life thing we grow the whole way through. So, with that said, let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day, for your word that is true. Lord, we look at the world we live in, and there's so much discouragement out there. So much anger. So much pettiness. Sometimes it feels like everyone's awful. But you've promised to take your people and change us. Help us be open to your Holy Spirit, open to your guidance, to that you would we would put down the sin that so easily that so easily entangles us. Lord, call us to yourself. Remove those things that are in the way of us being close to you, and being found in you. Change us that we may be changed in this world. Thank you, O Lord, for this day. In Christ's name we ask these things. Amen.